All right, good afternoon, every, good afternoon everyone. An incredible schuss to be here with all of you. So I want to tell you, it's a, it's a schuss on a couple of different levels. First of all, Baruch Hashem, as Rabbi Froelich mentioned, nothing has brought me as much nachos in the last few years as when Rabbi Froelich was appointed here at Beis Yaakov. I can honestly say I knew him when, and even when he was great, right? Even, 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 even Amal, he was wonderful. And the truth is, I was, uh, Baruch Hashem, I had the schuss to speak at two orientations at TA today. So the truth is, I was not going to do anything else for, for today. But when Rabbi Froelich calls, I have no choice but to say yes, especially knowing the incredible Messias Nefesh that he provides for the school, for our girls, for the students, and as a Beis Yaakov father, and Baruch Hashem, I have one daughter who's going to be in middle school this year, Meretz Hashem, in eighth grade, so I figured I want to stay on his good side as well, so saying yes is, uh, saying yes is helpful, but really it's an incredible skill to be with all of you. I'm sure you've had, it sounds like you've had some really riveting and interesting and helpful presentations already this morning, so I'm sorry, am I standing between everyone and lunch? Am I the speaker before lunch? <laughs> Great, I'm the pre-lunch speaker, fantastic, the, mo- the most coveted slot in the speaking world. So I, w- I will try to keep my, my remarks short, but it is an incredible source to be here with all of you. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes when you do something for a prolonged amount of time, you lose a little bit of perspective as to what it is exactly that you're doing. You know, like just on a basic level, person is a teacher, you teach with certain methodologies, certain approaches. And then we kind of get into a rhythm. We get into a rhythm. And sometimes it's important to take a step back and to realize that, you know, the way I've been teaching for X number of years is great. But now, Baruch Hashem, there are additional mediums, additional mechanisms, different ways to approach different kids. That's true in the classroom. But big adult, it's also true. Sometimes when we're engaged in the profession for a prolonged amount of time, it becomes just that, a profession. A profession. So this one's a lawyer, and this one's a doctor, and this one's a teacher, and this one's a rabbi, and this. And we forget that not all professions are created equal. And there are certain professions that are absolutely essential and indispensable cogs in the wheel for the continuity of Klaal Yisrael. Meaning, I would venture to say, accountants are important. But if Klaal Yisrael didn't produce accountants, I know, Lechas V'Shalom, Noah Leinu Rachman Litzlan, Hey, could be Klaal would survive. And I think you could plug a lot of different professions into this. But if Klaal didn't produce Mechanchos, and Klaal didn't produce Moros and teachers, then Klaal Matehe Aleha. What would be the future of our people if we did not have people like you steeped in the successful Chinuch of our daughters? What would Klaal be like if we didn't have a place like Beis Yaakov, Baruch Hashem, to perpetuate the Misora of Yaakov Sabakadisha, to try to imbue it with contemporary relevance for our daughters each and every day. So although there are many professions to choose from, I want to begin by saying thank you for choosing the most important profession of them all. Sometimes we gauge the importance of a profession by how much money you make. I'll say this in front of your administration. Teachers don't get paid enough money. And teachers are not recognized for the incredible, and this across the board, and teachers don't get recognized for the incredible effort and the incredible Messias Nefesh. But the meaning of a career is not commensurate with the amount of money you bring home. And the meaning of a career is not commensurate with the amount of covet or recognition that you get. The meaning of a career is measured by its absolute necessity for the continuity of Klal Yisrael. 
and what each of you do each and every day. And by the way, I, I want to be clear. Don't think for a moment that this is just for teachers who teach the Mude Kodesh. This is true for every single teacher. Because if you're here in this sacred place, then you have the opportunity to teach our girls how to relate to Torah and how to relate in the world. And the truth is, if that is your chilek, if that is your lot, then zachit, that what an incredible, incredible zachos. So I want to say that it's a zachos to be in your presence. I, I, I love teacher orientations because sometimes it's all the best parts of school without any of the stressors, right? It's the, like students, right? It, you know, it's the, you know, it's the, it's, it, it's the incubator of incredible ideas. It's people hopefully a little bit rested from a summer getting ready to dig in, getting ready to have another successful year, getting ready to figure out how can we inspire, how could we uplift, how could we take everything we've done and just do it a little bit better? How can we take everything that we've done and just make it a little bit holier? How can we reach the girls in ways that we haven't perhaps done before? And there's an excitement. There's an excitement, a profound sense of optimism and hope. And the truth is the avod is just to bottle it and to take it with us into the trenches as well. Because not every day is as easy like this, and not every day is as joyful as this, and not every day is as pleasant as this. There are plenty of challenges in the chinuch of our daughters. But if you just recognize your constant and consistent sacred mission, and how indispensable each of you are to the continuity of Klal Yisrael, hopefully that will give you chizik to continue, even when it's a little bit difficult. So I'll share with you just one additional short idea. There's an incredible Mishnah in Perak Yavas. The Mishnah in Perak Beis discusses the Talmud and the students of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. And the Mishnah goes on. Now, the Mishnah says Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai had five students. The truth is he had many more than five students, but there were five students who stood out amongst all of his other students. And the first student mentioned was a young man by the name of Rabbi Eliezer ben Horkinus. And the Mishnah says, what was unique about Rabbi... By the way, the temperature is perfect to keep everyone up. Mamish, you cannot, there, there's no, you can't even doze if you wanted to. Right, so, so, so Rabbi Elizabeth Horkinus, Rabbi Elizabeth Horkinus, the Mishnah says, what was unique about him? He was a Bor Sid Ma'abed Tipa, a cemented sister that never lost a drop. So on the most basic level, on the most basic level, what the Mishnah seems to be telling us is about Rabbi Eliezer's profound power of retention. Profound power of retention. He never lost a word. Now the truth is, that's a strange praise. Why is it a strange praise? If I were to ask you, why is it a strange praise? I'm sorry? He didn't do anything to get that. You know, this is incredibly important. You know, you have someone, you have someone with a photographic memory. And they're a genius. Great, you have photographic memory. It's not the pshat that you stayed up late at night to try to figure out how to acquire photographic memory. The Rosh Hashanah gave you that gift. He gave you that gift. It's the same way, by the way, there are people with incredibly like, strong intellectual acumen. That's not something you cultivate. That's usually something that you're given. Now, obviously, you could be given something. It doesn't mean you're doing anything with it. Right? That's why, by the way, in Yiddishkeit, in Yiddishkeit, the most incredible midah that we have is hasmada. Hasmada means, like, I, I, I plow away at something. I, 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 I work hard. I work hard to accomplish things. The fact that you can learn something, pick it up quickly, and have powerful, powerful retention, 
Fantastic. That's not something you did. That's something that God did for you. Hasmata is what you do. So it's interesting that the Mishnah praises Rabbi Elizabeth ben Horkinus, that he was a cemented cistern who never forgot a drop. So to appreciate this Mishnah, you have to need a little bit of background. I want to tell you a little bit, very little, about Rabbi Eliezer ben Horkinus's life story. The truth is, his life story is gleaned from two sources. One is the Gemara, one is the Majesty Perkei Rabbi Elazar. So by the way, even just knowing his name, what do you know about Rabbi Elazar ben Horkinus? What do you know about him? Or what do you know about his family? Horkinus is not exactly as they say, a Yiddish nomen, right? It's not, right? It's not amongst the popular baby names. Right? Horkinus is a Greek name. So it's interesting to note that his father, and by the way, it's a Elizabeth Horkinus, that, that means, that was his name. That was his name. It's not, you know, when he went to work, he went by Horkinus. And you know, uh, when he was at Shul, he was Chaim Shmuel. You know, it was Horkinus. It was Horkinus through and through. Which tells you a little something about his family. So the Medrash relates that at the age of 22 years old, young Eliezer approaches his father, and he says, Father, I have one simple dream. My dream is to learn Torah. My dream is to learn Torah. That's my dream. That's my dream. He says, Father, I'm ignorant. I'm 22 years old. I don't know anything. All I want, and by the way, Eliezer had an incredible dream, not just to learn Torah. He wanted to go to Yerushalayim, Irak, Kodesh. And he wanted to learn under Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, the Gadol Hadar. That's what he wanted. And the Medrash relates that his father responded to him. And I want to quote to you the Medrash. His father responded to him. He said, See, Horkonos was a wealthy landowner. He had fields. Eliezer, from the time he was a young boy until now 22 years of age, was working his father's fields. His father hears the request and his father says, listen, I'm not giving you dinner unless you go back out to till the soil. Horkinus would not even listen to what his son was saying. He would not even acknowledge the dream of his son. Instead, he shuts it down. You know, sometimes I think every parent has this type of conversation with their kid where they say, okay, we're not talking about this anymore. We're not talking about this anymore. Well, Horkinus, usually you say that after a little bit of parental frustration. Here, Horkinus doesn't even have the conversation. He just shuts it down from the beginning. And the Medrash relates that Eliezer tried a couple of more times to engage his father. Father, I want to go learn Torah. I want to go to Shalayim. I want to learn by Yochanan ben Zakkai. And time and time again, Horkinus says the same thing. Get back to work. Ein alma lidaber. There's nothing to talk about. Go back to work. Until Horkinus finally, excuse me, until Eliezer finally decides, I'm running away from home. He packs his bag, doesn't say goodbye to his father, to his brothers, Runs away from home, goes to Yerushalayim, finds his way to the Shiva Biochana Menzaka, and he's elated. He's thrilled. He's thrilled because now Baruch Hashem, look, look, he's finally made it. He shows up in Shir already, school supplies, right? Already sits in Shir, and he doesn't understand one word. This is Biochana Menzaka. It wasn't the Shir Aleph, right? This wasn't the first year Shir. This was for the advanced Tamidim. Eliezer's sitting in the back and he, first he thinks, okay, let me pay a little bit more attention. He can't understand one word. He goes to the back of the base medrash, he puts his head down and he begins to cry. You know how sometimes in life you see someone who's struggling but you try to avoid them. Let's be honest. You try to avoid them. Why? Because you know, like if I ask you what's wrong, oh, what's wrong? It's going to open a whole floodgate. And the truth is I have a very busy day. I don't have time to really get into all of this stuff right now. 
So everyone kind of walked by crying Eliezer without stopping, except for one person, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai goes over to Eliezer and says, Eliezer, what's wrong? What's wrong? He says, Rabbi, I didn't understand the shear. So Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai says, don't worry, we'll get you a chavrusa. But tell me, like, where are you holding in your learning? What do you know? How many mesechtos? Zero. Mishnayis? Zero. Chomish? Zero. Shmonesri? Zero. Kriyashma? Zero. Aleph base? Zero. Eliezer was profoundly and wholly Judaically ignorant. Ryokran ben Zakai says, I'll be your Chavusa. And the Gadol Hadar sat with this 22 year old young man, ignorant young man, day after day. And they started with Aleph base, and they worked their way through the most advanced topics. Fast forward a little bit. Rabbi Eliezer ben Horkinus becomes one of the primary disciples of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai was the head of the Beisdin. So he sees on the docket that day who's coming to Beisdin? Horkinus. And on the docket it says, why is Horkinus showing up in Beisdin? He's coming to write his son Eliezer out of the will. Horkinus was fabulously wealthy. They knew that Eliezer ran away from home. They just figured he was lazy. They just figured he was lazy. So Horkinus is showing up in order to go ahead and write Eliezer out of his estate. So listen to the scene. Rabbi Yochanan Mezak is sitting in the Sanhedrin. He has his most trusted Talmud, Eliezer ben Horkinus, right there, next to him. Eliezer doesn't recognize his father and his father doesn't recognize him. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai goes over to Eliezer and I want to quote to you. He says, he says, sorry. He says to him, Pasach v'darash. Eliezer, the time has come now for you to give a shear in public. Give your first shear. All these years he's been learning, he's never given a shear. Give your shear in public. Pasach v'darash. Eliezer says, Rabbi, I can't. I can't. And the Medrash says, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai said, Yes, you can. His friends said, Yes, he can. Eliezer ben Horkinus gets up to give his first public shear and writes the Gemara. Eliezer ben Horkinus gave a shear and he said over pieces of Torah that no one in the world had ever heard before. Chidushim, novel ideas, profound insights, one after the other after the other. And every single word called davar v'davar shiyatsa mipiv, every single thing he said, Ahmad Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai al-Raglov, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai would get up, leave his seat, Vinashko al Rosho, and would kiss his beloved Talmud on his head. Who sees all of this? Horkinus. Horkinus stands up in front of everyone and he says, Maranan Varabanan, I came here to write my son Eliezer out of the will. But I now say before you, Achshav, I now come here and stand here before you and tell you, I hereby give my entire estate, all of my possessions, 
to Eliezer, my son. A 180. Incredible. Right? So you think, like, that's a great ending to the story. Right? Eliezer, Baruch Hashem, now, Talmud Chacham. He doesn't have to rely on his father-in-law. Right now, he goes and he has support. Right? He's got everything he needs. Fantastic. Great ending. Story doesn't end there. So what happens? Eliezer goes over to his father. A father who he hasn't seen in decades. He says, Father, if it's land, if it's real estate that I want, Dad, you think it belongs to you, it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to Hashem. If it's gold and silver that I want, money also belongs to Hashem. Father, there's only one thing that I want, and that's the only thing I ever wanted, Father, was Torah. But the Hashem Tavakadish says, Rabbi Eliezer, you're wrong. There's one other thing you wanted also. What you always wanted was a father who believed in you. Because at the end of the day, young Eliezer, 22-year-old ignorant Eliezer, shows up to his father with a beautiful aspirational life dream. And what does his father essentially tell him? What does his father tell him? You can't do this. You're 22 years old. You're ignorant. You have this deficit. You have that deficit. You have this challenge. You have that challenge. You can't do it. You can't do it. So why are you wasting your time? And why are you wasting my time? Do what you're able to do. And what are you able to do? You're able to till soil. You're able to work a field. Go do that. And go be great at that. And Eliezer says the Baal Shem looks at his father and he says, Dear father, you have it all wrong. I never wanted the money. I never wanted the real estate. I never wanted the Yerusha. All I wanted was a father who believed in me. All I wanted was a parent who told me that I could do anything. That I could be anything. All I wanted was a father who would believe in me enough that I could believe in myself. You know, not everyone is privileged to come from a family with parents who know how to parent. It's the incredible thing. It's the incredible thing. And there's good reason. The truth is, parenting is complicated. And to know what to say to your kids and how to say to your kids and how to go and literally be the wind in their cells that they could accomplish... Not every person is equipped to it. First of all, many people didn't receive that themselves. And not everyone knows how to do that themselves. But this is the power of a teacher. You see, when a student comes into your class, I think, I'm going to say something that maybe Rabbi Folich will disagree with, and he's the educator, so you should listen to him over me. But I happen to think that the least important part of education is the conveyance of information. I will tell you something, and I never say this in front of my parents because they spent a lot of money in tuition. I remember very little of anything I learned in elementary school, middle school, here I'm sure it's different, high school, dare say even college. Very little information of what I remember. What I do remember are the teachers who believed in me. And I remember their names and many of them I still speak to to this very day. And I remember the people who didn't just treat me as a name on a class list. Because in every profession there are clock punchers. Clock punchers are the people who come in, 
do their job, and get out. Here are the expectations, here's what I need to do, and that's it, I'm done. Anyone in Chinuch doesn't have the luxury of being a clock puncher because there's too much riding on it. There's too much at stake. But I remember the teachers who were clock punchers, and I remember those who I felt really cared about my success and literally wanted me to become the best version of myself, that their success was my success. We always remember those people in life who truly believe in us. And I know it's hard, because the truth is, you could teach. You could teach differentiated teaching techniques. You could teach multiple intelligences. There are things you could teach. You can't really teach a person how to believe in someone else. Either you do, or if you don't, you could work on yourself. But I don't think there's a toolkit. I don't think that there's a seminar. It's something you have to find in your neshama. You see, the godless of this story, the godless of Elizabeth ben Horkinus is, Elizabeth ben Horkinus was remarkable. Do you know why the Mishnah says he was a bore sid tipa, that he was a cemented cistern? Chazal are not going ahead and praising his power of intellectual retention. What they're saying is, when you fight for something in life, you do not let go of it. Rabbi Eliezer ben Horkinus knew what it felt to feel like a nothing because his own father made him feel like that. And so he had to fight to become a something. And when you fight to become a something, you hold on to every single piece of your somethinghood, of your something kite. You hold on to that with all of your might. See, Eliezer ben Horkinus was an exception because most people, most people, after being told they are a nothing, simply begin to believe it. And the more it's told, and the more it's reinforced, is the more, I remember, I remember, going back to my New Jersey days, I mentioned this story in TA as well, in my TA, in my TA days, in my, in my early New Jersey days, in the rabbinate, I had a father who came to me, came to my house, and he told me that his daughter can't get into high school. He came to me asking to get a, help get his daughter into high school. I said, what's, what's wrong? Like, what, what is this a sweet girl? And he's there with his daughter. He says, she can't do math. She can't do math. Okay? He proceeded. She's terrible at math. She's always been terrible at math. From the time she was a young kid, she just can't do math. And I'm thinking to me, I'm, I'm trying to avoid eye contact with this young lady, who at this point in time, is looking down, is red, uh, saying to the father, I mean, I had many choice words I wanted to say to the father, but I said, you know what, let, let's talk about this. Let, let your daughter go home. Let's, let's talk about this ourselves. And I said to him, Plony, could I ask you, do you always tell your daughter that she's not good at math? And do you always reinforce that in front of complete strangers as well? And is this the narrative that you've woven for her since she's a little kid? Well, of course she's not good at math. And she's probably not good in a whole bunch of other things as well because you've demolished her self-esteem. The job of a parent, the job of a teacher, is not to be oblivious to the challenges that a student has. But the job of a teacher is to believe in that student with all of those challenges, with all of those deficits, with all of those difficulties. The sole primary responsibility of a teacher, whether you're a Mora or you're a general studies teacher, is that every single girl who is in your class, 
whether she remembers what you're teaching or not, she should know one thing. Mora so-and-so, Mrs. so-and-so, Miss so-and-so, whatever you go by, believes in me. And if you could convey that to your students, then you will be the most successful mechanechas this year and every year. You might not get through the curriculum. That you'll take off, take off with, your, with, your, with your administrator. But if you could go ahead and ensure that every single girl who is in your educational charge knows, I believe in you. I know, I got it. You have challenges. You have difficulties. We all do. You have a pebble. We all do. But at the end of the day, I believe in you. I believe in you. Then you are a resounding success in the classroom. You are a resounding success in life. And you are a resounding success for Cloud Yisrael. And I'll just end off with one last piece. Because it's easy to talk about believing. But I think there's something important that we have to focus on as well. There's a fascinating discussion in, in Dvarim, right? Chumash Dvarim is different than every other Chumash. Every other Chumash is much more structured, right? Even if you hold that the Torah doesn't follow a chronological order in Mukta Mu'uchah Torah, nevertheless, even when the Torah breaks with chronology, there's always a semblance, there's always a rhyme, there's always a rhyme and reason, there's always a pattern to the structure. Sefer Dvarim is often the exception. For the simple reason, Sefer Dvarim is a free flow of consciousness of Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu knows that he's not going to follow his beloved people into Eretz Yisrael. You know how like sometimes you're leaving the house and you want to give last minute instructions, whether it's to children or to family. So what do you do? You give a whole bunch of instructions. You walk out, you come back. Oh, oh and this, right? And then you call, and this, and this. Moshe Rabbeinu is about to say goodbye to his beloved nation. He's got so much to tell them. So listen to this Pasuk. So the Torah says, Ba'isahi, this is Perak Yud Pasuk Aleph in Dvarim. Ba'isahi, Amar Hashem Eilai, this is after the Chet Egel, the sin of the golden calf. Moshe Rabbeinu says, I broke the first set of luchos. Now God told me to go ahead and chisel out the second set of tablets. Bring them up. And then make an ark. This is not the ark of B'tzalo. This is not the Arn of the Mishkan. This is a separate Aron. Separate Aron. So in HaKadosh Baruch Hu's command to Moshe, the command was like this. Bring the stones up. I'll engrave them. Bring them back down and then make the Aron. And Moshe tells Cloud Yisrael something amazing. He says, But I, Moshe, I switched the order. I switched the order. I made the Aron first and then went, and then went up for the Luchos. Right? I made the Aron. God told me, Make the Luchos, bring down the Luchos, and then make the Aron. I made the Aron first and then took care of the Luchos. So Moshe said, Of course, it makes sense. Why? And I'm going to come down. Can you imagine? You come down with the luchos. Where, where exactly do you put them? While you're making the arm, you hold them the whole time? You, put them, you can't put down the luchos on the table. So, so Moshe says, I have to, when I come down, I have to have a place to put the luchos. So he switched the order. What's the obvious question? What's the not so obvious question? Ribam Moshe Olam is smarter than Moshe Rabbeinu. Smarter than Moshe Rabbeinu. So obviously, if HaKadosh Baruch Now, by the way, HaKadosh Baruch was totally good with the change. Signed off on it. But if you were good with the change, so why did you tell Moshe to first make the luchos and then the box? So perhaps what Baruch was trying to sensitize Moshe was like this. Torah, Ruchnius, the neshama, cannot be put into a box. You see, the Ribono Shel Olam is limitless. And in Shamayim, there's no such thing as boxes. In Shamayim, 
there is no such thing as just wholesale categorization of people. There's no such thing. In this world, we love boxes. We love boxes. The more boxes, the better. The more categories we can make, the more we could differentiate between who you are and what I am, right? This one is here, this one is there, your Ashkaf was this, you're this. The more boxes we can make, and it makes sense, because the truth is, as people, as human beings, what we crave more than anything is seder, is order, is order. And we perceive that boxing people, I, I don't mean like boxing like that, I mean like boxing people, right? Putting them in boxes, putting them in boxes, creates a sense of Seder. Ah, so you're in that box. You're in the yeshivish box. You're in the modern yeshivish box. Used to be yeshivish box. Want to be yeshivish box. Thought about being yeshivish box. Modern, very modern, almost modern, too modern. Could have been modern, should have been modern. Right? So now we've got 50 boxes. And Baruch Hashem, you can put all of Cloud Yisrael into one of those boxes. It's fantastic. But it's the antithesis. The absolute antithesis of what the Ribono Shal Olam wants of us. The Rebbe Shalom says, I don't put people in boxes. You shouldn't either. You shouldn't either. And that's why Kaddish Baruch, when he commands Moshe, obviously there has to be a place to hold the luchos. But at the end of the day, Kaddish Baruch Hu says, listen, bring down the luchos. Bring down the luchos. You worry about the box later on. Moshe says, no, in this world, in this world, the box comes first. The box comes first. What box, what box are the luchos going to go into? Dear teachers, you know, the most detrimental thing that anyone could ever do for a child is to put them into a box. Dr. Abraham Tversky said something so beautiful, simple idea, but so profound. He said, there is no such thing as a bad child. There are only good children who do bad things. And that's just not a cute little saying. It's the MS Lamito. Because if you believe that there are bad children, better to choose a different profession. If you believe that there are bad children, then you've boxed them. And if you box a child, you have done a profound disservice for them. Are there children with challenges? Of course. And does it feel, I, I say this as someone not in the formal education world, but does it feel sometimes like there is a proliferation of children with challenges? It does. I don't think that there's more challenges. I just think that we're much more in tuned with how children operate. And we're much more in tuned with the way children learn. And we're much more in tuned with different challenges that I think often just went unnoticed or undiagnosed throughout the ages. I think people are different. People are generally the same. But we have to be so careful to avoid boxing children. The same way that this father ruined his daughter. She's good. She's married with children. She's a happy, well-adjusted young lady. But by the way, not without a good deal of therapy. And because, because of well-meaning parents who just didn't know how to unbox their kids. I'm sorry? Oh, she was terrible at math. Yeah, terrible at math. Terrible at math. Right? But, but like I said, people are terrible at a lot of things. At a lot of things. But just because you're terrible at something doesn't mean that you're an abysmal failure. Right? The job of a teacher is someone walks into a classroom, their challenge was saying, oh, so, well, sorry, little, little bracha is not very good at identifying shapes. Sorry, she's not a shape kid. Not a shape kid. Let's move on. Maybe she'll get numbers. Right? Maybe she'll get, I don't know what comes first. Right? Maybe, 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 maybe she'll get some, can't wash your hands of someone because they have a challenge. The job of a teacher is to say, okay, here's the challenge. 
Now, how do I make this kid successful? How do I allow this child to feel like I believe in them? Because all roads lead back to the same thing, which is what I call the Eliezer ben Horkinus model of Chinuch, which is the most important thing you could do as teachers, is to make sure that every single girl knows that you believe in her. And the way to do that is to avoid the temptation to box. Boxing is attractive because often it makes life a little bit easier. These are the strong kids, these are the weak kids. Maybe that's fine, but these are the good kids, these are the bad kids, these are the problem kids, these are the this. But understand, when you box someone, when you box someone, you're preventing their self-actualization. When you box someone, you are stymieing their personalistic growth. When you box someone, you're preventing them from becoming the best version of themselves. And most importantly, when you box someone, what you're really telegraphing, what you're really saying is I don't believe that you could be any more than you currently are. And none of us would ever intentionally give off that message, emote that message, say that message. We have to make sure that the way we run our classrooms and the way we structure our chinuch, never chas shalom, even unintentionally emotes that as well. That's the sacred avodah that each of you have. And the great tzichos is, see, in some professions, if you do your job right, great, there are promotions, there's financial incentives, there's bonuses. If you do your jobs right, which I know, I'm sure you all do, you change the trajectory of Klal Yisrael. There aren't too many people that say, that every t- I can say that every time they come to work, they shape the destiny of Klal Yisrael. And believe Shum Guzma, with no exaggeration or hyperbole, that is what each of you do each and every day. But to do it well, to continue to do it well, make sure that each and every precious girl that comes into your classroom knows that you believe that she could become the very best version of herself. Give all of you a bracha that you should have incredible siyat incredible strength and staying power. The staying power through the difficult times which inevitably comes. The staying power to sometimes deal with irate or difficult parents. There are some rumors that some of them exist. And the staying power to deal with some children who are challenged. There are challenged children. But challenged children, sometimes if you just know how to go ahead and unlock their greatness, they become the trees that bear the greatest fruit. Hashem should give you each the incredible ongoing koach, stamina, staying power to continue to inspire, to continue to believe, to continue to transmit our sacred misora to our beautiful daughters in the zechos of everything that you do for the mishpachos of our community. Hashem should bench each of you and your families, kifle kiflayim, and with the ksiva v'chasimah tova.